0: morning. Um, uh, I'm not going to do a scripture reading, but we will have scripture. Um, But I have found it useful uh, in these days and times, especially as we head into a new calendar year, um, to just give the opportunity to know who's around you. It feels like there's always new faces in our community, which is wonderful, but we don't want you to leave um, just having sat and sort of passively experienced things, but at least put some, some faces and names together and all that. So why don't you take three or four minutes? Introduce yourself to someone around you. Tell them how long you've been there, or been there, been here, how you ended up here. You know the deal. Ready? Go. <clears throat> Mm-mm. everybody Here we go. So... It is... Vision Sunday. Bina's listening, which I appreciate. It's Vision Sunday, Bina, which we do twice a year. And what we do is that at the beginning of the year on Vision Sunday, we talk about some of the things that God is leading us into. And then in January, Bina, what we do is that we stop, and it's sort of like halftime, and we talk about where we've been and sort of where we're headed for the rest of our ministry year. Because our ministry year, you'll find this interesting, runs from September to August. So this is like basically right in the half. Wow. 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 Vision Sunday is a little different. Uh, what we normally do here is that uh, we open the Bible and we talk through a passage. It's kind of our normal flow here. Uh, Vision Sunday is a little bit different in that, all kidding aside, um, it is a time where we kind of pause and say, "Okay, where, where have we been? What have we been kind of doing as a community? What have we been emphasizing in the way that God led us into this ministry year? And then, kind of, where are we headed from here?" And so, um, so yeah, a little different at the same time. Uh, we're in this series called faithful to core where we're looking at at some of our core values core identities as we have called them for many years here and the one that we're talking about today is represented by this icon here and it's um it's gospel centered and so i want to talk about both of those. i want to do a little vision sunday stuff talk about kind of strategically kind of where we're at as a church but i want to ground it in this core identity of gospel-centered. And the way that we've come to talk about what it means to be gospel-centered is to say that this thing called the gospel, which I'll define for you if that's a new word to you, but this thing called the gospel um, is, is the story in which we believe ourselves to be living. It's, it's the sort of underlying or, or overriding, whichever one makes more sense in your mind, It's the story that makes sense of everything that we do. And this is based partially on, a great philosopher of the last century, uh, whose name was Alastair MacIntyre. And he said this, he said, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself apart? You hear what he's saying there? That there's certain actions that makes sense if you believe yourself to be living in a certain story. Uh, The analogy, the simple analogy is like, why would someone take a, a round orb and use their foot to advance it down a field into this plastic thing with a net on the back of it? Well, none of us are doing that right now because that's not the story that we're living in now. But if you're on a soccer pitch, There's certain rules, there's certain expectations, there's a certain way the game goes, and that's what you do on a soccer pitch. If you pick up that ball and run with it and say, I'd rather run with the ball, I'd rather hold it and then put it in the plastic thing, those are against the rules there, and there would be certain penalties, and there would be a, a certain consequence to living outside of that story, if you will, outside of that true context. So I don't know if you've ever thought of human existence this way, but it's really important to figure out what kind of story that we're living in because we want our actions and that story to be closely aligned. That's what, I mean, that's kind of what the word integrity means. Integrity means living, living within the bounds of the, of the truth of the story that you're living in. Because if we're living in a certain story, and that certain story has certain ways that it says human beings are to do and to act and to live, if we then say metaphorically, no, I want to pick up the ball and run with it, we're going to be living out of step with the way that that story says we're supposed to live. And there'll likely be certain consequences, certain ways in which we will suffer as a result of not living truly into that. That makes sense? It's kind of a pretty highfalutin way to start a Vision Sunday. But, um, but I think it's a really important concept to understand what we mean by gospel-centered. Because the gospel, which is this ancient word that, that uh, literally just means what? Many of you know this. What does gospel mean? Good news. Good news. We heard this, actually, if you were with us for Advent. Throughout the, the book of Isaiah that, that we're teaching out of in Advent, This idea of good news, that good news was coming into the world, that the New Testament uh, takes up that word and applies it to a very specific series of events that it says, this is the good news, capital G, capital N, that the world has been longing for, which in some ways begs, well, what's the bad news that the good news is a response to? You see the good news, even calling it news, right? News is, by definition, story-based. It's, well, what's the story? What happened, right? You turn on the news to hear various stories of of what's been happening. And so good news presupposes that there's a story into which something happens that answers the bad news and turns things around. And so that's that's what it means to be gospel-centered, is the gospel is the story that makes sense of why we do things. Now, here's what I'll say. We are... We're living in a really interesting cultural shift, particularly in the West. And people are writing all kinds of books about this. And um, uh, I've been listening to a podcast about this. Thank you. Very (laughs) impressive. Um, uh, About how we're living in this really interesting moment where the Christian story is very much being cast aside. Christianity, eh, Jesus, like, we don't want any of that. But we still have a, a society that's trying to hold on to the morality, the ethics, the, um, the essential sort of rules of play, if you will, that Christianity has introduced into the world. Things like, I mean, most essentially, things like human rights the idea that every human being has an essential dignity to them and therefore has a certain right to not be oppressed, abused, taken advantage of, enslaved, and all these things. Do you realize how deeply grounded that is in, in Christianity's idea of what a human being is? That we are created by God in his image, which is to say we're created with a unique purpose and dignity in the world to be and to do who God would be. And what God would do if here in the world, that's what it means to be made in the image of God. It means that we are like God in a way that no other creature in the entire universe is like God. And therefore that dignity demands to be acknowledged by fellow human beings, lest we unsay something that God has said essentially about human beings. Now we're living in a time that's saying all of that God stuff, all of that Bible stuff, yeah, we're done with that but we still want to hold, into, hold on to, yeah, all people are essentially worthy of protection, right? We're, we're, and what it's doing is it's casting aside that question that I began this with to say, we can still decide how we want to live and what we're to do without even considering the question of, well, what story are we living into? What grounds those demands? what game are we playing? And we say, but these are the rules. Yeah, but what game are we playing? No, no, just look at the rules. Imagine being handed a rule book without any sort of sense of, well, what's the objective of this game? You just can't go out of bounds, right? Don't touch the ball with your hands. Okay, but what am I supposed to be doing? You see, we live in this sort of frozen, in some ways paralyzed moment where we're trying to grasp onto the, the deep goodness that Christianity, that the Christian story has introduced into the world while casting aside that story. The, the best sort of way to, that I've heard this captured is, is in that podcast. Is, um, there's a story that's told that when Thomas, I hope I'm getting this right. Some of you know American history a lot better than me. But when Thomas Jefferson is writing the Declaration of Independence, did Thomas Jefferson write the Declaration of Independence? Let's say he did. He, he, he writes, um, there, there's a line that says, we hold these truths to be what? Yes, um, some of you are like, I know that from Hamilton. Um, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Um, right? Oh, and I mean Thomas Jefferson. I'm gonna tell him to include women in the sequel. Work, right? That means he wrote it. Why else would she say Thomas Jefferson? It's all coming together. Okay, so Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. And he writes, um, <laughs> and we've lost the plot. Okay, um, he writes, we hold these truths to be self-evident. But in the original, that he sends to Benjamin Franklin for his input. He writes, we hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable. That's what he says. All of, all of the human rights that, that, are, that are threaded in, in the beauty of the Declaration of Independence, eventually in our Constitution, especially in our Bill of Rights. And he says, we hold these to be sacred. In other words, what does sacred mean? given by God, non-negotiable because these are things that have been handed to us by a creator and we as creatures don't have a say in it. They are sacred and therefore undeniable. Benjamin Franklin crosses that out and says, I think self-evident is better. Self-evident. Everybody believes this. Everybody knows this. Come on, this is just the way that the world is. No one is gonna misunderstand how important human rights are. By the way, the people who are writing this write entire people groups out of that demand for human rights and say, self-evident, right? My guy, self-evident to who? What are they saying? They're saying what's in here is what is self-evident to us. So what do they write into it? Frankly, an incredibly self-serving, self-preserving, quote-unquote, declaration of independence. Now, if those are sacred and undeniable, then who gets to say on what those ways of being actually are our God? And we can't deny them. But do you see how this subtle turn to self-evident means I can actually, at the end of the day, be the arbiter of this? Yeah. And yet, as a culture, we're saying, yeah, but there's certain things we, we are going to hold on to, right? According to who? I think one of the opportunities that we have as followers of Jesus in, in this moment, is to step in. This is why we're doing alpha. This is why a huge emphasis for us is going to be, guys, we've, we've got to move this outside of just our little bubble here. And we've got to show the world that there actually is a story that makes sense of how we're called to live. And we're not called to live in a certain way apart from that story. And that story also calls us to a certain way to live. That's, that's, that's the sort of moral clarity that we can bring to a culture that right now doesn't know which way is up and which way is down, but is still grasping at. Yeah, but, but we know that there's, there's, there's good in the world, and we get to say, yeah, here's, here's where it's from. It's from good news. It's from a story that makes sense of who you are and why the world is the way that it is. Here's what, go to that scrolly Bible, Pam. Here's, here's maybe the most succinct uh, definition of the gospel in the, the New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul, early Christian missionary, teacher, church planner. He's writing to one of his churches, and then he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Boom, ding, right? What's the gospel? It's the gospel that I preached to you. So the gospel is preached, which means proclaimed. It can be said in words. It can be described which you received, the gospel needs to be received. It is good news that actually calls for a response. And by which you are being saved. It has something to do with your personal salvation. We'll talk about what that even means. If you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, if you live as though this is the true story of the world, it demands something of you. Unless you believed in vain. There is a way to believe in the gospel in vain. In other words, the gospel is not merely saying, I believe that's true. Yep, I believe it's true. Check. That's not all that matters, that there is a a whole life response that the gospel demands. For I deliver it to you as of first importance, our first core identity, right? Of first importance. This is the essential thing about who we are as a community, who we are as people. What I also received, he, he received it first. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That's the good news. Christ died for our sins. Now, here's the interesting thing. In accordance with the scriptures. You know what that means? And that only makes sense if you understand the story. In accordance with the story that Jesus' good news steps into. So you got to understand what the bad news was. So we'll talk about that. Next verse. That he was buried really dead, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So in order to understand not only why Jesus's death for our sins makes sense, but to understand the importance of the resurrection that he conquered death, you got to know the story. That's what he's saying here. But he's saying, this is it. This is the core. This is the thing that matters most of first importance is this thing called the gospel Now, look, we could literally do a 10-week series on everything that he says there, but I got to do a flyover today. It's just the way it is. So here's the story. Ready? I'll do it through pictures. You guys really liked those pictures last week. A lot of you told me. So this one isn't as cool, but it's a picture. Okay, here's the story. God creates the world. First one there, creation. Um, That's really important. We gloss over this one. God created the world. We have a creator. We don't pop out of nothingness, right? I mean, the the two stories that are really competing here are this story and the story of materialism, that we are the result of time plus energy plus chance, and boom, here we are. And then we, at some point, we crawled out of the water, and at some point, our fins became arms, right? And then at some point, we figured out, oh, let's make up that there's a God, and then at some point, the sun will burn out, and our existence will have meant absolutely nothing. Can you understand why that story leads to a very different conclusion about the best way to live? Here's our story. God created the world and he created it with intention. He created it out of the overflow of who he was. He himself was three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out of the overflow of love and abundance that was there, not because they needed something outside of themselves, out of the abundance, right? Ideally, Husbands and wives create life out of the abundance of their love, not because they're they're lacking something that they believe the child would offer them, right? That's a weird analogy, but it's the best analogy we got of God, God actually creates out of the overflow of who he is, out of a pure act of grace. It all starts with grace. There's no reason why he had to do this, and yet he creates and gives life to that which can then experience him. He creates us with a certain intention. That's that whole image of God thing. He says, look, you're to represent me in the world. You're to be and to do who I would be and what I would do if I were physically present in this world that I have created. I am giving you this as a stewardship. I'm giving you this as a gift. I'm giving you this to oversee it. I'm giving you this to enjoy. But in order to enjoy it, you've got to remain in relationship with me and you've got to do things the way that I say because I created the thing, right? If you invented the sport, you get to make the rules, right? Right? And that's what God is saying. He's saying, I, I created this thing. I invented this thing. And so I'm the one who knows how you're going to thrive within the system. And he says, look, in order to represent that, there's, there's like a whole bunch of stuff you can do and one thing you can't do. And very quickly in the story, we human beings meet our first parents, right? This is all of us. We go, meh. But this looks really good over here. I know you invented the thing, but I, I've been doing some observations and I've been, you know, feeling some stuff myself. And I think probably I should do the thing you said I shouldn't do, right? And ha, 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 Adam and Eve. And then we go, ugh, this is me on a Tuesday, right? Like, this is, this, is, this is part of what it means to be a human being is we rebelled against that. And then because we rebelled against that, guess what? There were all kinds of consequences and penalties and things that didn't go right. Not because God was mad at us, because those weren't the rules. And we don't flourish when we walk away from him. And that's the bad news. And then God predict. Selects a very specific people. This is most of the Old Testament. The, the nation uh, that he chooses through Abraham becomes Israel, becomes all of these kings. And again and again and again and again, they just play out that same story. God says, I've chosen you. God says, I've given you grace. God says, I've brought you into my family again at, at no, uh, b- because of nothing to do with you. And again and again, they say, I know, but uh, I've been feeling some things. I've been observing. And I think that maybe we should do things over here. And again and again and again, that story is played out. And again and again and again, even in our lives and in our own stories, we play out that story where we say, "I know God that you expect this of me, but but I've been doing some observing, I've been feeling something, and I feel like this is going to be better for me." And then into that bad news, a whisper begins. This is what we talked about in Advent—that there is one coming who is not going to live out that story. He's going to live a different story. He's actually going to listen to God. He's actually going to obey Him completely. And then somehow, some way, he's going to take on all of the rebellion, all of that punishment that we deserve, he's going to take all of that penalty upon himself, absorb it into himself somehow such that we can have an actual chance at living a different story ourselves. And so Jesus comes into the world, the son of God, God incarnate, God in flesh. Amazing. This is what we just celebrated at Christmas. And he obeys God perfectly. And then he goes to the cross because we can't even endure someone living the way they're supposed to live. That's how backwards we are. We look at that and we go, we've got to kill that. It's amazing. That's the world that we are complicit in creating. It's a world in which someone comes and plays by the rules and we go, you're not playing by ours, so you got to go. And so Jesus dies a sacrificial death, stands in our place, the only one who could represent us, the only one who didn't have to die and suffer the penalty of his own sins because he had no sin. And so he takes it all upon himself, every single bit of it, every single act of rebellion, every single thing that's been done to you, the ways that you've been sinned against, it's all poured out on him. He does this according to the scriptures. You know what that means? It means this was the only way it could have gone down. It means that this is what the scriptures... uh, Remember we talked about in Advent that Isaiah is creating a job description for Jesus? Jesus. That's the according to the scriptures. It's saying the scriptures are going, the only way this thing gets turned around is if somehow someone comes, doesn't live the same story. Someone comes, somehow is able to take all the junk that we've done and like turn it back on itself. But I'm pretty sure that in order to do that, they're gonna need to become sin, which means that they're gonna die. So last thing, they're gonna need to somehow conquer death. And we haven't seen that yet. And then Jesus comes and not only does he die a sacrificial death, but he rises again, like actually rises like his body's dead. He's buried, as, as Paul says in that passage. He's like really dead. And yet, because he is fully righteous when he goes into the grave, there's nothing for him to die for. Him taking on our sin is itself a righteous act. And so God raises him victorious over sin and death according to the scriptures. Good news comes into that story. And that's our hope 2,000 years ago is that there was one capable of not living out the story that we all live out. Now, the gospel is something that's preached. It's really important to know that and to hear that again and again. Some of you, that's the 10,000th time you've heard that, and it's important to keep preaching that over you because we tend to disbelieve it. We tend to say, yeah, but I got to earn it, right? Yeah, but it's actually up to me. Yeah, but I can be the hero of the story. No, 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 no. You don't have that right. You can't earn it. It's all grace. He's the hero of the story. It's also something, though, that we have to receive into ourselves. And for some of you, that's where you're at. You're at a moment of decision where maybe you've been coming to our church for a little bit and you're like, I don't know that this stuff is all for me. Maybe some of the way they live is for me. All that stuff sounds good. Man, accept the story and make it all coherent, come together and say, yeah, Jesus, I believe that you're my only hope, that you're the hope of this world and you're the hope of my own story because it has to be received and then it has to be stood in. And that's what we're trying to do as a church. We're trying to stand in the gospel. We're trying to not give any ground on the gospel. not give give any single little detail of this story away and to keep proclaiming it and to keep living into it. And so to be centered on the gospel means everything we do here has to only make sense if the gospel is true, right? Everything we do here makes sense only if the gospel is true, right? There's a lot of stuff that we could do as a community. There's a lot of talent and ability and resources and all those things in here. And there's a lot we can do. What we are responsible as your leaders to ask is, yeah, but what is God specifically calling us to do because the gospel is still true and as active today in central New Jersey as at any other time in human history? It's gotta make sense. That's what we're trying to do. That's what it means to be centered on the gospel. Here's um, Bishop Tim Keller, if you know that. Uh, Tim Keller, who died last year, uh, one of the heroes for a lot of us in the faith, who's was pastor in New York City for many years. This is his definition of the gospel. I think he nails it. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplished salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with him, and then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. See, the story doesn't just stop when we ourselves make a decision to believe this gospel, to receive the forgiveness that it offers for our sins. You see, then we're called into a family. That's us. That's the church. We're called into a family and given a task, which is to proclaim this gospel in what we say and in what we do. And then to also live out this gospel to say, this world doesn't have to be how it is. That that actually the goodness of God is pushing back on the evil and the wickedness and the darkness around us. Slowly, (laughs) slowly. incrementally, never fully. But guys, this is what the church is meant to do is push back darkness wherever we are, however much we possibly can. Because a day is coming when God will return and that light will flood to the four corners of the earth and there will be no more sin, no more darkness, no more death, no more pain, no more mourning anymore. And so God says, would you join with me in being an answer to the very prayer that Jesus put on our lips. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. He says, Jacob's well, I need you to participate in doing that. And so it's not just about individual salvation. It's not just about getting your, you know, get out of jail free card for eternity. It's actually about then standing in that gospel and participating in what God is doing in the world. And we want to be a church that holds those two things together. So this is one way to think of it. I know this is helpful to a lot of you the last time that we talked through this, that sometimes we just narrow the story to, man, humanity's really messed up and needs salvation. And that is 100% true, okay? But if that's all the story that we tell, if we believe that that's the only story being told, then all that we're emphasizing is, is the individual, is eternal life, is salvation by grace, which are all true and amazing and wonderful and praise God. But we can narrow that story and forget... Well, there's a God who created the world with a certain intention. That world is headed somewhere now. Now, look, we can also do the same thing here. We can say the world was created with intention and one day will be great. And so we need to participate in bringing justice into the world. We need to participate in bringing others into the kingdom. We need to be a church that has a different kind of culture that the world looks into and says, what are those people doing together? And all of that is 100% true and beautiful and praise God. And that's the emphasis on the corporate On the kingdom of God, on the fact that new creation is possible here and now. The ampersand here uh, makes all the difference. We want to hold these two things together. We want to be a church that unapologetically preaches the need for individual salvation, that says, you need to be forgiven for your sins. But then we also want to say, but now you need to stand in that gospel and participate in what God is doing in the world. And to be an agent of new creation here and now. That's the privilege that we have, it's not an obligation. It's a delight. That duty becomes delight to say, man, I get to participate in what God is doing in the world. That's why we're an all-in kind of church, because we believe there's work to do. We believe there's stuff for us to do internally, and there's stuff for us to do externally. It's not sufficient to say, just preach the gospel, and if individuals put their faith in Jesus, let's all just huddle up and wait until the final chapter in the story when we fly away. Okay? There's a task that the gospel calls us to, that if we're truly centered on the gospel, that's what we'll be about. Amen? Amen, Amen. there you go. That's your gospel centered. Um, one of the ways, I, I forgot to, to put this slide apparently, but one of the ways that I think it's been helpful for us to begin talking about these core identities, and it's these five icons that we'll work through over the next number of weeks, is to say that gospel centered is, is above all of them, and then, the other four sort of flow from us being gospel-centered. And that, that, I hope, would help you remember this idea that gospel-centered is to say, this is the true story of the world, therefore, these are the things that we want to be about. So gospel-centered really stands above these in a, in a really necessary way, in a way that we wouldn't want to elevate any of the other four above our commitment to the gospel because these flow from our deep commitment to that story and to that good news. Make sense? All right, let's do a little halftime work here. Um, where are we at as a church? Uh, I showed you this back in the, the fall for those of you who were with us. I said, this is a little like what we felt like as a church coming out of COVID. <laughs> a little rundown, a little beaten uh, by the storms of COVID and all the other things that had happened and people leaving New Jersey and, um, and all that. And I felt like over the last, I don't know, maybe six months before that in the, in the four or five months since, we've kind of come to this where it feels like, okay, sales are, well, they're not up. I don't know how that ship is moving, but, um, but this, let's say the sales are up, right? There's people on board, and we've got uh, a direction that we want to head. And the, um, the sort of phrase that I began the fall with was this idea, this idea from the story of Jacob Swell that we talked about last week of lift up your eyes. So here's... Uh, This comes at the end of Jesus' interaction um, with the the Samaritan woman. This is actually him interacting with his disciples. When they say, do you remember this? Uh, His disciples come back. They marvel that he's talking to a woman because he wasn't supposed to do that. Um, But then no one says anything to him because they're getting used to him doing things that they don't expect. So no one questioned him, what are you doing? But then the first question that they do ask him is, Jesus, are you hungry? Like You've been out here all day. You're in the midday sun. This is what he says. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Which I just pictured this type as like, oh, here we go. Right? Like somebody catch the metaphor, right? Um, do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice <laughs> together. What Jesus is saying is that there's a kind of participation in the work of God that sustains the human soul, like physical food sustains the physical body. There's a kind of participation in the movement, action, work of God in the world that sustains us, sustains our inner life, sustains our soul in the way that physical food sustains the physical body. I don't know about you, but there is a deep sense in which, man, when I am, you know, uh, uh, and it's all too rare, but when I feel locked into the purposes of God, right, I'm spending the time that I need to spend with God. There's a sense of purpose to what I'm doing in life. I'm, I'm taking steps courageously to act out my faith in the particular spaces and relationships that he's calling me to. There's a sense of, of settledness of soul there's a sense of satisfaction that goes, man, I'm, I'm living into God, who God has made me to be. And then the, the more normal thing, and I hope you won't judge me for this, is that I'm not entirely in step with God. And then I wonder, man, I, I, feel, I feel hungry internally. I feel unsatisfied. I feel like something's lacking. And Jesus names that and goes, yeah, <laughs> because you're living in a certain story and you were made with a certain purpose, and there's rules over your life that you experience as oppressive rules that I'm telling you if you will live into that structure that there's actually your greatest freedom and flourishing there. And the thing that he happens to point out here is he says the fields are white for harvest. Lift up your eyes. And, and I would just start with, I think that living into that almost always begins not by looking inward, but by lifting our eyes from ourself and saying, what, what are, what's going on around me? What are the needs around me? What are the relationships around me, demand of me? Right. Again, this is the opposite movement of the story that we're being told in culture right now, which is look deeper and deeper and deeper, and then you'll find your purpose. Jesus is saying, no, lift up your eyes, look around, and I bet your purpose is defined by the particular relationships, the particular context that God has put you in. And he says, and if you'll step into that and participate with me in the things that that the opportunities that are around you to do, there will be a soul level satisfaction. There will be a joy, he says, because you'll be participating with God. That's what the sort of hard to understand last couple lines are saying. That God is active in the world. God is doing stuff in the world. God is bearing fruit in the world. So go eat the fruit and rejoice with your master. Go, go you know, um, go weed some, some rows of, of God's garden. And then God will say, hey, have you had the peaches yet? You know, like they're really good this year. That's what this is saying. And so we believe that there are specific ways in which God is calling us as a community, Jacob's Well, to be participating with what he is doing in the world. And some of that's outside of our doors, some of that's very much inside of our doors, that there is a kind of life that he calls us to together as a community. And what we're trying to do as a church is figure out, man, what does that look like and how do we provide opportunities for you to do that well? So here are some of the things that we've been emphasizing this specific year. I'll work through these really quickly. Uh, The first one was Deepening Care. We launched these things called Care Groups last year, and this year we wanted to continue to learn those. We were just with the care coordinators, uh, was that last week? Yeah, last week, right? Um, Had a wonderful conversation around sort of what we're learning about that and what we're seeing and how to make those ever more uh, effective in terms of of what we're trying to accomplish with those. If Care Groups are a new concept to you, I'll I'll fly through these next few slides. Um, I won't even talk about this one. This one's going to be confusing. Just keep going. Um, keep going. Uh, here we go. What are care groups? Um, care groups are what they sound like. We, we love one of our little values here at the old Jacob's Well, We love to name things really on the nose. I know our church name is like really confusing and, and hip and everything. Everything else we do is really on the nose. So care groups are groups that care for each other. Okay, like that's what they exist for, literally. Like, if you have a need, your care group is the place where that need is going to be met. Whether that's something you need prayed for, whether that's help moving, whether that's, hey, I need some encouragement on this specific day, I'm starting a new job, whatever it is. If it's, we had someone water someone else's garden while they were gone in our care group, nothing delighted me more because that was a really important need to that person. We've had people express, hey, what I really need is a mentor, and that's happened, right? Like, we've. I love my care group. I deeply love my care group. I love my care coordinator. Shout out even Josh. Um, That's what these things are for, is we believe that one of the ways that we participate in the work of God and what he's doing in the world is to care especially well for one another within the family of God. That's throughout the New Testament, is that we have an obligation to care well. So these are for mutual care. um, We want them to be a tribe within a tribe. We're getting just big enough as a church that we're reaching that level where you probably don't know everybody here. Um, that that's really hard for any one of us, including myself, to do. And so what we wanna do is have a group of people that if you participate in that group for any amount of time, you're gonna look around and be like, I know these people, I know these people. So they're big, but not so big that you can't know everybody. Uh, Most of them are between 20 and 35 adults, something like that. Um, Some have tons and tons and tons of kids, some have less kids. but, but we want it to be that group of people that, if, again, if you participate for any amount of time, you can look around and go, yeah, I know the faces in this room. And hopefully have stories of, hey, I've cared for that person. Hey, that's the person who called me on this day and, and prayed over me when I needed it, whatever it was. Multi-ethnic, multi-generational. Um, these are not demographics. We do not have you know, a young parents group, a student group, or anything like that. We really, really, you'll hear this next week. We value multi-ethnic. Um, which, uh, which I'll talk a ton about, but also multi-generational. One of my favorite stories from care group, um, and I won't share any details, but it was, a uh, let's say, an older, more seasoned person in our care group um, who was going through some, some difficulty, some medical difficulty, and said, I've never had people, um, students, people so young checking in on me. I'm used to the care in a community being you know mostly peer-to-peer, and I just don't have a category for these students who I knew were praying for me on a day that I was going through something, I was like, ah, that's what we're after. (laughs) That's what these care groups are meant to. Um, Because not only do we experience that and go, that's different. That makes sense only if if there's a certain story that we're living into that says, yeah, we're not just going to be like with like. Um, Actually, the, the beauty of being together in family and difference is something that we ourselves need to breathe in and go, man, that's beautiful. That's distinct. That's the life of Jesus among us. Um, These are relationally selected versus geographically organized. Uh, Back in the day, we always did things uh, trying to get people who live close together, and it just didn't work. I don't know how else to say it. It just didn't work. Um, and so, uh, so these, if you're new, if you do not have a care group, um, we actually allow you to, to choose which care group would make the most sense. Now, once you choose, we want you to be in there for all the reasons that I just said, which is that consistency. We don't want people jumping between care groups because it's that consistency that's going to create that tribe within a tribe, that record of faithfulness among you, that familiarity. Um, but we do, uh, allow you to, to choose which one you want to be a part of. Um, can I do this real quick? If you are, we have four care groups, which do the math. Um, that's not many for this church. Um, but again, there's reasons for that. But if you are a care coordinator, would you just stand for a second? So stay standing. Um, first of all, these people are the best. Can we give them a round of applause? Love this group of people. Stay standing. No, 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 stay standing for a second. Here's, here's why you guys are standing, not only because I love embarrassing you, but um, if you're new and aren't in a care group yet, and one of these faces is a little bit more familiar to you than another one, Go up to them after this gathering and say, hey, I'm not in a care group yet. Can I jump in with yours? Because that's probably the easiest way to select one if you're new and don't have a care group yet. Cool? All right, you guys can be seated. Thank you guys so much. Okay. Um, Here's the major concept of care groups. It's this next slide. Can't say this often enough. Um, Those people are care coordinators, and they're coordinators, not care leaders for a reason. They coordinate care among the group. They are not two people providing care for the 30 adults in that group. Otherwise, all of these people would have stood up with scowls on their faces and they'd all be burned out, right? Um, No, they're coordinating care such that the 30 people in your group care for one another. And these wonderful facilitators, that's their role, is to make sure that that's happening. And so when you go to care group, We talked about this with the coordinators. The thing that we want going through your mind as you walk in that room every single time is, um, what is my need? And to give some good thought to that. What do I need? What is it that this group, I have 30 people who who maybe are just getting to know me, but who have committed to love me practically. What is it that I walk in here that someone in this room might be able to to meet me in? Okay, so we come in with a need, and then we, we go also walk into that room going, I can't wait to find out whose need I'm gonna meet between now and our next meeting. Because at some point you're gonna be asked to raise your hand and say, you know what, I'll follow up with you. You know what, I got that one. You know, let's exchange numbers after, after group today, and I'll text you when you're starting your new job or when you have that final that you're nervous about or whatever it is. So you walk in with a need and you walk out uh, committed to, to meet someone's need. Cool? Okay, right. that's what care groups are. And that's going well, guys. I, I'm really excited. Um, as we continue to learn what, what these things are. Okay, next one that we we're emphasizing this year is thoughtfully engaging complex issues. This uh, we've primarily done through our um, discipleship course. We will continue to do this. Um, in the fall, we had a course on, um, on a bunch of really <laughs> complex things, sexuality and culture and marriage and, um, and singleness and all those kinds of things. How many of you were in that 201? Many of you, um, and so you know that we engaged some complex issues, did we not? Um, one of my favorite uh, images from that is uh, afterwards, after one of the the particularly just difficult, complex right? Because these are not hypothetical things. The 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 things we were talking about were not issues out there. It's loving those who who are here and among us, people who we love, even even our our very selves, but maybe family members, maybe neighbors, maybe friends, maybe coworkers. And I love the conversations after those, where some of what what Rachel and I had been teaching sort of at a practical level would would land very much on the ground. And there would be families um, talking through these things and giving each other counsel and praying for each other. And it was like, yes, this is why God led us to try and do this really difficult thing to step out. Um, and to actually talk about stuff. We're going to keep talking about stuff, even in this sermon series over the next number of weeks. As you heard me say last week, we are headed into an election year, which nothing makes a pastor more excited than an election year. Um, But we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what does it mean? Um, What is our responsibility? As followers of Jesus in this place, in this time, in a democratic system where we all do get a vote, like, what, what does that mean? What do we do with that? How do we think about politics? Um actually, let's show this. These are the other discipleship courses that we'll be uh, offering. Oh, let me walk through this mm-hmm. real quickly. This is for anyone who's new. So discipleship course is this thing. Uh, it's kind of the big thing we do. It's like the thing that we do as a church other than Sundays. So uh, most of us do it on Wednesday night. There's a small group that does it uh, before the gatherings on Sundays, but the vast majority of us um, do this on Wednesday night. How many of you have ever participated in a D course? Show hands. See, this is what we do, okay? <laughs> this is our big thing. Um, what you do is you start with our core curriculum um, where, you walk, where we walk you through some sort of language that we use for different topics and discipleship and all those things. This is also a great opportunity to make community with people who are also just starting their journey at Jacob's Wall. How many of you were in a 101 last semester? A little more reluctant. I don't know. <laughs> The average hand height. There you go. Thank you, Chela. Um, Okay, so you start in our core curriculum. Um, that takes you about a year and a half to get through, so about three semesters worth. We do this in the fall and spring, and then um, you can move into our 200s. How many of you are now 200 eligible, as we call it? Good. None of this should intimidate you. This is not school. You don't have a registrar. You don't have to go sign up for classes or whatever. It's just the language that we've stumbled upon. Um, so, you, so if you're new, new, you start in the core curriculum, or if you only have a semester or two. Of that under your belt you'll go back to the to the 101's um, this semester and then once you're done with the core curriculum uh, this semester we're doing something different so last semester the 200 those of you who are 200 eligible you just had one choice of what to do this semester we're kind of swinging the pendulum in the opposite direction and you'll have three choices of what to do so here is what we're offering this semester go to the next one oh those are the dates so this starts on January 31st which is in a few weeks which is crazy uh goes to March 20th. The Sunday one will start um, the Sunday after that, that launch date of January 31st. 7 to 8.30, we do provide child care, so that shouldn't be prohibitive for anyone. Cool? All right, here's our offerings. Next. And you'll hear way more about these in the next two weeks. Um, you'll hear a ton about these. The 101s will be social discipleship. What does it mean? Uh, very relevant. It's like, what does it mean to be a citizen? What does it mean to live in a culture and a time and a particular political system? So you guys will be talking about that already. And then spiritual discipleship, which is sort of building into uh, our life, the practice of meeting with God, of spending time with God. How do you do that? It's an intro to all of that. There's an in-person option for that and a virtual option for that. And then here are your 200s. There'll be one on marriage and parenting, which a lot of you have been asking for, talking about some of the complex issues there. There'll be a spiritual 202, which is uh, sort of that formational stuff, um, life with God, communion with God, spiritual disciplines, that kind of stuff, continuing to build out that part of our life. Uh, and then physical 202, uh, which will be on uh, how does our faith change the way we think about our everyday work and change the way that we interact with finances and money. That'll be over the next two weeks. We'll talk way more about those, give you more information, but just wanted to get that on your radar. Um, as we head into this semester. Last thing that we've emphasized this year is this whole evangelism thing, particularly with the launch, go to that next slide, of Alpha. I wasn't here last week. I was traveling, so I could not be more excited to experience it this coming Wednesday. Um, If you weren't able to go last Wednesday, really would encourage you to be there this Wednesday. Uh, Again, this is just a taste of a tool that a lot of churches that we really admire seem to really love and really promote um, that helps us with friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members, helps us foster spiritual conversation in a way that can be sometimes hard to do on our own. Um, and so come learn more about that. Um, I think that, right, like this is just not something that we've been good at. It's not something, honestly, part of the reason for that is it's something that I'm not personally good at. And so we're gonna enter into this thing together and create every opportunity and training for us because what we would love to see, right? We do baptisms once a year, and my vision of Alpha as a success is that there's some people we're baptizing either this spring or next spring who none of us even know about. Maybe one of us knows. Maybe it's a neighbor of ours that we think would be the least likely person to be in that bucket <laughs> um, come, come, you know, May or whenever we're doing uh, baptism bash, right? That someone that you're sitting there thinking of, that currently doesn't believe this gospel, this good news, and you're going, they would never end up in that couch off. (laughs) That we'd be baptizing them um, within a year or two. So, that's evangelism. Again, shout out to Rachel and Tony Uhas who are heading all that up. Here's how we're doing things right now. Here's how it all works together. Next slide. this is, this is our model, if you want to know our model. This is how we think about who we are as a church. So some of the ones you've already heard about, evangelism down here, we feel like is really important. We're doing that primarily through Alpha and through some equipping, so that's evangelism. Discipleship, you just heard all about how we do that, particularly through discipleship course. For our teens and, and kids, that's Well Teens and Well Kids. Shout out to the Well Teens uh, fam and, and the growing community that's there and the mentors who are doing such beautiful work. Um, love what they're doing. So that's evangelism and discipleship. You've heard about care groups. You've heard about, um, and also our diaconate, which is our internal fund. By the way, this is a really cool story. Um, uh, We announced the generous Christmas numbers, uh, the final numbers of what we had, and then we had uh, a few folks in our community step up and provide another $8,000 for the diaconate so that we were able to bless um, those, those partners a little bit more, and able to really fill out our diaconate. So that was a really cool thing that happened. Yeah, you clap for that. Um, community uh, is up there. That uh, we do through both Community Meal, which we would love for you to be at next week. Nothing smells better than Community Meal. Um, we'd love for you to stay after the gathering. And then also through our men's and women's stuff. Men uh, do a retreat in the fall and then a one day in the spring. Women, you do the opposite. You do a one day in the fall, which I know is fantastic, and our men's retreat. The image of men's retreat that just stays with me, for those of you who are there, um, is the time on Saturday where we're all just speaking over each other what we find imitatable in one another and i'll just i don't think uh, i'll ever forget that time of watching men speak things um that that men can be hesitant to say that's why we do these kind of events because we want to break those barriers and create a community that yeah looks different that has a different way of interacting um and so uh, so yeah shout out to christy ellison who runs our community meals men's and women that's uh That's Chris uh, Rodanovich and Andrea Ford, respectively, who run all that. Love what they're doing. And then service here. Um, You're hearing more and more of this as we uh, create these partnerships locally, opportunities that we have uh, to help them out. You know, When I think of of service, I think of uh, during COVID, I was on a a Zoom call once. Were you ever on Zoom calls in COVID? Um, I was on a Zoom call once with the town. It was various organizations in the town. The mayor was on it. And they're talking about, I think it was the food bank. And somebody said, um, well, look, if if at the end of the day we need volunteers, we can always call the Little League. Because the Little League will step up and get us volunteers. And there's something that struck me that went, boom, there it is. What would it look like for Jacob's Well to be that for, for local partners? For them to go, look, at the end of the day, if we're really struggling, if we need any kind of resources, if we need anything last minute, like Jacob's Well, like we'll call Jacob's Well. Um, and so that's something that we're actually trying to do, uh, starting with Young Lives, the, the ministry that Amy Freiberger oversees and many, many of you are involved with, is we met with Amy and her team uh, early this year and said, um, this is our vision. We would love to be your first call. We would love to learn how to be that for you. And, and we would love for you to sort of embrace that. And so we've been learning that together, um, which, you know, isn't perfect, but it's been really fun to figure out, man, what does that look like for us to really step up in a much, much bigger way? Um, and so like my little personal vision, um, is that maybe we would add a partner every year that we would be that too, right? That we would be the little league too, right? Like, like at the end of the day, we have Jacob Swell behind us. Um, and so we know that nothing's going to fall through the cracks. Um, and we're beginning to watch that happen. And so shout out to Manoj who oversees a lot of that stuff, Amy Freiberger, Amy Dees, um, who does a lot there. And so what I love about this is that I could work through here and, and put names to who's giving like significant leadership to these things. Um, and that's one of the things that we love about this model is no one's doing all of it, myself included. We have a lot of names that could co- go up here, um, but this is it. Like These are the things that, that right now, for this time, we believe God is calling us to. This is what it looks like to lift up our eyes, look around us and say, this is what engagement with the purposes of God are, and our hope is that as you get involved in these things, you would experience that soul level of, man, it feels like I'm in step with what God is asking me to do. And so that's the invitation, is to participate with us. Uh, here's some dates that you can put on your calendar as we look forward to these things. So community meal next week. Connections lunch you heard about. That's a great first step. Like If you're really, really new and trying to figure us out and what makes us tick, Connections lunch is for you. That's in a couple Sundays. Um, really informal time to just ask questions, learn a little bit more of our history and things. D there starts uh, again at the end of this month membership Q&A, um, that would be the next step. That once you're like, yeah, I think that this is going to be home. We know that there's a lot of you who are like, um, who are really trying to decide like, is this home? Are we going to be here? If you want to take that step and you come to the point in the next month or two, that member's Q&A is for you. Uh, we would love for you to, to sign up and, and actually lock arms with us and say, remember, it. Uh, ladies, that's your date for women's retreat, April 26th to 28th. If you want to get that up there. Well, teens always meets first and third Sundays. Um, Man, if you have a teenager who isn't involved in Well Teens, I just, as a Well Teens parent, I just couldn't encourage you more to get them involved. There are beautiful stuff going on among that crew. Care group gatherings. So how we do it is that the months where we have community meal, the next month we have care group, and they sort of stagger. And so your care group uh, gatherings will be February and April this semester. Well Kids Camp, we do have a date for that. Shout out Well Kids Camp. Ooh, ooh. Uh, 8th to the 12th of July, so you can you know, whatever, schedule your vacations around that. Uh, this is meant to give Chris Donovich anxiety. Um, men's one-day gathering, we've got to decide on a date for that. Um, and then baptism. Did we make a call on that, morgue? the baptism bash? Morg, did we make a call on the baptism bash? No, no, we're going to talk about that. OK, so those are the two dates that we'll give you um, as soon as we have them. So I want to say any questions, but we don't have time for questions. Um, so, but that's what we're doing, OK? That's who we are. Um, let me read this over you again. Um, Jesus said to them my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work do you not say there are yet four months then comes the harvest look I tell you lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together Jacob Swell insofar as we are centered on the gospel that there is a story in which our lives make sense, and that story is full of God's grace and goodness and love toward us. Um, may we lift up our eyes and see what God sees, which is not, do you hear what he says here? What God does, Jesus does not look around and say, New Jersey's hard soil, right? Do you get tired of people saying that? I get tired of people saying that. New Jersey, wow, it must be off of the people there. I can't believe there's any Christians there, you know? Um, I'm tired of that, man. Lift up your eyes, see what Jesus sees, and, and say, first of all, here we are, baby. Like, here we are, right? Like, we're doing gospel work. We love the gospel. We love Jesus. We're not giving an inch on that. We're also participating with him, and we believe there is so much more, right? And we're not the only show in town, man. I could, I could tell you of other churches that are doing great work. So let's lift up our eyes. Let's participate and believe, right? This is, this is one of the dynamics that we talked about in Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman. It always feels like Jesus is asking for more sacrifice from us, when He's saying, "If you understood the grace of God, you would know that anything I ask of you, I will outgive, whatever you give." Right? May we grasp onto that and say, "Yeah, it might be a little bit of sacrifice to to start up and go to care group. It might be a little bit of sacrifice to figure out Wednesday nights. It might be a little bit of sacrifice to get involved in one of these service opportunities we have." But what if we really believe? But I believe that Jesus is going to outgive. For me, that whatever sacrifice I make, he's a hundredfold kind of God, right? That's his promise, right? That soul level satisfaction, not weirdo stuff, not prosperity nonsense or anything, but that soul, that Jesus will meet us as we step out and do these things. That's our hope. Let's pray. Father God, give us that hope. Give us that anticipation. Give us that why behind everything that we do. Lord, as we come to this table, remind us of the grace of God, help us to understand the grace of God and who it is that's asking these things from us. Lord, even as we worship now, I pray that our worship would be fueled by the reality that there's such good news. In the bad news of our own stories, in the bad news of this world, good news has exploded into that narrative. And may we live from that now and always. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.